Please turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53, I believe it can be found on page 614. And the Bible's in the chairs in front of you. If you flip to about the middle of your Bible, I think you will find it. We've been working our way through this servant song in Isaiah that actually begins in Isaiah 52 verse 13 and has five stanzas five stanzas as it continues through chapter 53 and so we're in the fourth stanza this morning verses 7 through 9 of this wonderful glorious picture we have of a of a servant the servant of the Lord This is God's holy word to us this morning, verses 7 through 9 in Isaiah chapter 53. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living? Stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. This is God's holy word. Let's pray and ask him to add his blessings to it. Father, we thank you for the truth that is in your word, the grace, the mercy, and the love that is displayed to us of this servant, whom we know to be our King and Savior, Jesus. So, Lord, this morning we ask that you would just help us to see him, to love him more. And to be drawn to him. We pray in his name. Amen. I'll have to be honest with you. I felt a little conflicted uh, preaching through Isaiah 53 uh, these last few weeks. And as we get here to one more stanza and one more stanza next week. uh, I think this servant song is one of the most wonderful things ever written, ever recorded about our Savior, and the reason why I think this is because it describes for us in the most vivid way who this wonderful, merciful Savior is, our Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done. But this passage, this, this song, this text, it's, it's not exactly a real happy text for springtime. It's not necessarily this joy-filled passage that we go to for daily encouragement. This passage is not necessarily one you would send to someone who is struggling with discouragement in their life. But I do want to maybe change the tone a little bit this morning and help us to see that this actually is a a hope-filled and a joy-filled passage because... Of who it is talking about here. This, this is a, a gospel filled message from Isaiah. Because it offers, us, it offers to us a Jesus. Not that we would like to have. 
but a Jesus that we need. This, this, this servant here that, that Isaiah is, is preaching to us, is talking to us, it's not a servant, a, a Messiah that we would make in our own image. It's, it's the one that we need. And so here in Isaiah 53, we have a Christ who identifies with us in every way possible. It's the Jesus that we need. We have the Jesus here in this passage that the writer of Hebrews states that he had to be made like his brothers in every way so that he might become a, a merciful and faithful high priest in the service to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people because, for, because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. We have a savior here in Isaiah who identifies with us, who was like us, who helps us. I want to read to you this morning uh, some text from a sermon that John Piper preached nearly 25 years ago. And I think that Piper captures the, the essence of the Jesus that we need and not necessarily the one that we would make for ourselves. Listen to what he says. He says, if I gave you a Christ who was chipper and happy-go-lucky, buddy, chum, pal, whose job was to cheer you on in the springtime excitements, it would be a little piece of the truth. And it would make for a brighter, more chipper Sunday morning message, perhaps. But you know what? I think most of the radio and TV and advertisements are already doing that. Encouraging you to be chipper and upbeat and sunny and successful and comfortable and leisurely and sporty and smiley and fun people. And I could chip in there and say, look, Jesus invented all the good things in the world anyway. He knows how to play ball and rollerblade and make and bike and surf and garden and shoot buckets better than anybody else in the in the universe. So. Let's get with it for Jesus' sake. I could make a great case for God-centered recreation, and I've done it at times. But the burden of my life, Piper says, is not to enhance your springtime leisure. My burden is to help you survive and thrive in the winter of your life. To help you say, when all around my soul gives way, then Christ is all my help and stay. Not many people in this culture have that goal for you. Not many devote their life to that. One of the reasons I do is because I know that winter is coming for every one of you. There are health winters and marriage winters and parenting winters and vocational winters. And there will be one final winter of death. In those winters, you will not want a chipper, happy-go-lucky, buddy-chum pal of a Christ. You will want a Christ who was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And you will want pastors who are better at weeping than at laughing. And you will want hope, not cheery, blithe, sunny, springy, toothy TV hope, but solid, unshakable, everlasting God-guaranteed hope in the face of utter darkness. 
I love what Piper wrote encouraging us there. And so we have before us in Isaiah 53 a, a Christ that we need. A Savior who is with us in our winters and not just in our springtime. And I promise you I didn't pray for a cold April wet day like it is today so that I could get the point across. I would rather it be sunny, sunny and cheerful outside. But we have a Lord here who, who identifies with us in, in every practical way. The Messiah that, that Isaiah sings to us here is a Christ who, who identifies with our suffering, with our oppression, with our affliction. And so last week we looked on Easter Sunday at this rich doctrine of this great foundational teaching of the substitutionary atonement that Christ was pierced for our transgressions. He was he was crushed. He was wounded for our sins and our iniquities so that we might have peace with God. But this week in this stanza, we're going to examine how the Lord Jesus Christ for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. Scorning its shame. And he went willingly to suffer and to die. And he was silent about it. He was quiet about it, Isaiah says. And so in this fourth stanza of the servant song, we are once again astonished. It's astonishing the, at, to the depths to which Jesus went to demonstrate his, his love for us. And so we're going to see that demonstrated in three ways here in this three verses of this passage. The first is the, the silence of the servant in his suffering. The second, the, the apathy of the people to the servant's suffering. And the third here is the unique burial of the servant. So the first here in verse seven, the, the silence of the servant in his suffering. Look back there again in verse seven. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. That's the first thing we notice as the servant went to the cross. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, and yet he was, he was silent about it. He did not open his mouth when he went to the cross. And to, to illustrate what this was like, Isaiah here talks about, refers to, a lamb or a sheep that was about to be sacrificed. We know from reading the Old Testament that there was many, 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 many sacrifices that had to be made to atone for sin by the priest and by the people. It was the way in which God had prescribed that we worship him and that we atone for sin. And so these animals, specifically these lamb or sheep, they were notoriously notoriously dumb they didn't have the intelligence that a household pet would have or even a pig would have and so the idea here is that when these animals were were led out to be to be slaughtered to be sacrificed for a sin offering or like a sheep that would be sheared for its wool to be used for clothing they don't they don't know what's going on they're not saying, oh, please, no, not again. They're, they're just doing what their master t 
tells them to do. Just following along by the rope or the, or the crook or whatever they're being used. They just do what's required of them. They don't put up much of a fight. Unlike the new visitor or new member of our family that, that joined us this past Christmas, Toby the Golden Doodle. Something tells me that Toby the Golden Doodle is going to make a lot more sermon illustrations. <laughs> Many of you prayed for Toby the Golden Doodle as he almost didn't make it through Christmas as he contracted the parvovirus. It's a terrible, terrible thing. But he's doing well now. Not only is he doing well, he's a complete mess. <laughs> he's still a puppy, but he's a 40-pound puppy. And he's gotten to the point, really, I'm the only one that can handle him now. <laughs> One of the things that, that Toby doesn't much care for is a bath. Uh, his nice, warm, hot tub bath days are over because he just destroys the bathroom when I try to bathe him in there. And so I have to take him outside and wash him with the water hose and strap him to, like, you know, the tailgate of my truck to get him to be still. So when he sees me grab that water hose and that leash and that bottle of shampoo, he is like, ah. I, he doesn't want anything to do with it. He, he does not like it, and he will not go silently into the night. He is kicking and, and screaming and squirming. But what Isaiah is trying to get us to, to realize here about our Lord and Savior Jesus is that he went willingly to the cross. Like the lamb or the sheep were led to the slaughter he was not kicking or screaming and putting up a fight he knew what was going on and he went willing willingly and what isaiah is trying to get us to realize as peter commented on that we read in the service here in first peter 2 is that he committed no sin neither was there deceit found in his mouth when he was reviled he did not revile in return when he suffered, he did not threaten anyone. But he continued to entrust himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed, Isaiah says. And Jesus went willingly to do this, it was the will of God the Father that his son should die for our sins. And he did not put up a fight. When he was oppressed and afflicted, he went willingly. Because this Jesus that we need, he identifies with us in, in our suffering and in our affliction. In the way that he took our place. He went willingly. He did not complain. And this just got me thinking. Do we complain about our suffering? Are we known to be complete whiners about our affliction and our pain and our oppression? I'm convicted about this because I'm a complainer. I would love to let you know of my ailments. I think, I think life should be easy. When in fact we are told that we should be ready to endure hardship and suffering in this falling world. Because that 
is where we are. And that's why Jesus came. But it is in our suffering that we must look to Jesus. Our suffering, our afflictions, our temptations are meant to point us to our our need for one who will one day free us from all our sin and sorrows. God does not punish his children. He's not trying to punish us for our sin by afflicting us with pain or cruelty or hate. He, he does not do that. Rather, the ones he loves, he does discipline us. He does allow things to come into our lives, sufferings even, to help us realize we need a Savior. And we have one who identifies with us, who helps us by showing us that he too suffered. He too was afflicted. And so praise God we have a Savior who identifies with us. Secondly, here we see the apathy of the people to the servant's suffering. Look there in verse 8. He was oppressed and he was judged and he was taken away. But Isaiah asked this rhetorical question. For the generation, for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living or stricken for the transgression of my people? The people's reaction to the oppression and judgment that Jesus went through was oblivion, apathy. Jesus was cut off from the land of the living. He was, he was treated like a criminal. He was put into the system. He had on the red jumpsuit, if you will. He, he was held under guard by Roman officials. He was, he was deemed not worthy for society. And even the Jewish leaders wanted him dead because he was a real threat to their leadership. But this judgment that man had on him had no real power over Jesus. Because ultimately it was the judgment of God the Father that would cause him to suffer. To be treated like this. For God's people. All this happened right before a whole generation of people, Isaiah says. And nobody cared. Nobody cared. His generation, those who saw him, those who witnessed everything that happened to him, those who saw him be led away like a, a meager animal to be slaughtered, those who saw him jailed like a, a, a criminal. They thought nothing about it. No one bothered to consider that he was being stricken for the transgression of the people. No one bothered to make the connection between the lamb that would be sacrificed for sins and this man who would be the Lamb of God. No one bothered. They were completely apathetic to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. They considered him cut off from the land of the living, jailed, worthless, nothing to be accounted for. 
But we have to ask, is, is this us? Is this our attitude? Are, are we apathetic to what Jesus did? Do you, do you just not care about your sin and at what cost God went through to save you from it? Is this your response to Easter? Is this your response to Christmas and everything that has to do with Jesus? Is it just, eh? Just apathy? The life, the suffering, the affliction, the death, the resurrection of Christ, it, it should mean more to us. It should bring us joy every day. May, may God help us. May God help this generation. Those of us living now, those of us hearing the gospel now to wake up from our apathy and proclaim like never before that Jesus died, that he rose again and that he's the king. I don't want to be apathetic. I don't want us to be apathetic. May God help us not to be. One final thing that we learn here in this passage that hopefully awakens us to our apathy in verse 9 is this unique way in which Jesus was buried. The, the, the funeral arrangements for the servant. In ancient times, a, a criminal's body, especially someone who would be stoned or killed or crucified, they would simply just be thrown into a pit, a mass grave. No one would pay them respects. No one would give them proper burial. It would just be cast away. And this is what everyone assumed would happen to Jesus. That's what Isaiah says there when he said that they made his grave with the wicked. Just cast him away. But then Isaiah makes this interesting little comment here which is actually a prophecy. And with a rich man in his death. We fast forward to Jesus' life in Luke chapter 23, and we read about a rich man named Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea. He was a member of the Jewish ruling council, and we believe that he was converted through the ministry of Jesus. He came to believe that Christ was Lord. So after Jesus was crucified and he was dead, his body was to be disposed of. Joseph went to Pilate and he asked him for the body of Christ. Now he was a rich man. And if you were a rich man, you could go and have a, a, a tomb dug out of the rock for you. I mean, how long did that take 2,000 years ago? And that was going to be his special burial ground. Like he went up to Maple Hill Cemetery and he bought the best plot there was. And that's where he was going to be and his tombstone was going to be. And maybe a statue and people could remember him forever. But God put it on Joseph's heart to put the Savior in that tomb so that Jesus could be properly buried. And so burying Jesus this way was a burial of very high honor and respect, certainly not the burial of a, a 
criminal and the way the other wicked would be treated. And so why is this? Why does Isaiah tell us about this and what's so unique about that story? Why do we need to pay attention to it? And I'm going to ask Pastor Piper to help us here again when he says that the reason he thinks this took place was that when Jesus died, the work of redemption was done. There was no more need for humiliation. Instead, God signified the honor of his servant by arranging for him an honorable burial in the grave of a rich man, the disciple Joseph of Arimathea. So even the burial of Jesus was lined with hope. He may not have looked like a criminal. He may have looked like a criminal dying for his own crimes, but he was not. He was the servant of the Lord. And when the work of suffering like a sacrificial lamb and dying for the transgression of his people was done, God began to honor him even in a way, even in the way he was buried. God honored him. And so the Messiah, the silent servant, Here in Isaiah, who was rejected and wounded and then exalted in his burial. This is the Jesus we need. This is the Jesus who identifies with us. And we cannot be apathetic about what he did for us. He was the Lamb of God who was slain for us. He was led like the lamb to be slaughtered and he didn't whine. He didn't complain. He went willingly. Innocently, Isaiah says. And he died for us. Is that not worthy of our praise? Should that not waken us from our spiritual apathy? And this is the God who gives us, through his son Jesus, the healing and the grace that our hearts hunger for. Oh, our hearts hunger for. May God give us a heart to hunger for Jesus and what he did for us. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we praise you and we we thank you. For giving us a savior that we need. A savior who identifies with us in every way. One who came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so Lord, for those of us who have fallen into apathy about the good news. Wake us up. Wake us up, O Lord, and help us to see Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at your right hand, and who always lives to intercede for us, who cares for us, who identifies with us in every way, 
who made propitiation for our sins. Help us to praise and to thank you every day for that. In Jesus' name, amen.